Hey, are you excited about Christmas? How many are done with your shopping? How many of those that are done with your shopping, if you were to do a disc profile, are a C? <laughs> the eyes among us. <laughs> well, I'm starting this week. No, I'm just kidding. We actually did some of it online uh, this year, which was a huge move for my wife. Like this was welcome my wife to the 21st century when she actually did the shopping on Amazon instead of like going into Brawlmart and having a fight with everybody that day. <laughs> it's awesome. You think Haiti's dangerous? I mean, go to Walmart on Black Friday and then tell me you don't want to go to Haiti. <laughs> if you've got your Bible with you, open to the Book of Revelation. A reminder for those that haven't heard so far, it's starting January, the Sunday of Santa, whatever that is, the 5th, we're going to be starting our gatherings on Sunday at 10 a.m. instead of 10.30 a.m. We, we started them at 10.30 when we first started because there were so many musicians among us, and God knows it's hard enough to get up by 10.30 to make it, but wanted to, actually, and seriously, we wanted to have, uh, them to have time to uh, rehearse and time to get set up, and we've sort of figured out that we've kind of got this down to a little bit of a science We've been paring down the trailer. Uh, other brothers and sisters, other uh, pastor friends of mine have, they try to get more trailers and more stuff and I've been like, uh, like I don't wanna end up on an episode of Church Hoarders. So we've been <laughs> dumping the trailer out and we're, we're down to like a trailer and it's like three quarters full. So I'm feeling pretty smug about that. But starting on January 5th, we're gonna start at 10. And the good news about that is if you're out the door by 11.30, now the bad news I guess is the Golden Corral closed. So I didn't know that, you know. R.I.P. to Golden Corral, but at least we still get a head start against the Methodists and the Baptists to get to your restaurant of choice if we get out by 11.30. So, you're welcome for that. Revelation 12. You probably thought that we were going through the book of Revelation, but what's wild about this is that wherever you are, I don't know how this works this way, but it just seems to when you go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, wherever you are, there you are, and Revelation 12 is the Christmas story, but told in a way that maybe you hadn't thought about before. How many of you have seen uh, in the manger scene, we've got one set up in the back with their kids' Christmas party this morning. There's an animal missing from the manger scene, uh, a dragon, <laughs> which is curious because there was a dragon present at the Christmas story. Watch this in Romans, or Revelation 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven and a woman clothed with the sun, wind cut a hold of that one. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Best way to interpret the Bible is how? Let the Bible interpret the Bible. In Genesis 37, when Jacob is interpreting the dream of Joseph, and Joseph, there was 12 stars. It represented the 12 tribes of Israel and the moon and the sun. It's all present there. I believe that this speaks, this woman of the nation of the 12 tribes of Israel giving birth to Messiah. Now, what we saw on this side of heaven, the scriptures have told us that what we see in the scene is a picture of the unseen behind the, the veil. And what was going on behind the veil, starting in the Garden of Eden, leading up to today is, is described in these next few verses. Then another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, 10 horns, 
and seven crowns on his heads. And his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. If you remember the story, and Herod wanted to kill every of the, all of the children under two years old. This was a, a quite literal thing going on, and what was going on behind the scenes was a war in heaven. Do you think that we're at war? Absolutely. There's a war that maybe we didn't choose, but it has chosen us. And it says, the dragon stood in front of the woman that was about to give birth, that he might devour her child in the moment she was, he was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God in his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where the, she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. That's a reference to what we believe will happen in the future. But for today, it says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And this great dragon was hurled down to earth, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. In verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, and I love this, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And they overcame him, you know this, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you will dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because his nose, his time is short. Would you pray with me? Father, would you give us wisdom this morning and insight that you would speak to each of us individually. Speak to me, Lord, this morning. We would all have a word from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 70% of the book of Revelation is taken directly from the Old Testament. The reason it's called Revelation is not like in our day, it's like uh, the apocalypse and spooky. But the, the picture that it was meant to be is of revealing. We are revealing re like a revelation of what is happening, what will happen in the future. Not meant to be the spooky book. I used to not read it because it scared me. I used to not read Job because it disagreed with my theology. And I used to not read uh, Revelation because it scared me. And I used to read Song of Solomon because I was in eighth grade. <laughs> but this is a direct picture of something that happened in the Old Testament. If you, I know we don't have the, uh, the convenient uh, keynote this morning, so if you wouldn't mind kicking it with me old school this morning, and I might need to borrow Bassanio's reading glasses at some point, so keep those handy if you would. Um, I'm noticing that either I need reading glasses or I need an extender, you know what I mean, like an arm thing so I can hold it out just a little bit further. Go with me to the book of Zechariah. You're like, Darren, where is Zechariah? Go to the book of Matthew, you know where that is, right? and turn left and go two books, Malachi and Zechariah. It's like the second to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter three gives us a picture of what John's talking about. John is talking about the accuser of the brethren, which is one of Satan's names because that's what he does. And he gives us a picture in Zechariah three. It's right, if you've got to Haggai, you've gone too far. Habakkuk, go back right again. 
But Zechariah 3, we peel back and see what's happening with a guy named Joshua. Not the Joshua of Moses and Joshua and conquering, but the high priest Joshua. In verse 1 it says, He showed me, Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. This Joshua was the one, he was like, I don't know how else to say it, like the Billy Graham of that day. He was famous, and he was the one with Zerubbabel, or Zerubbabel, depending the emphasis and syllable you would use, Zerubbabel, and uh, to rebuild the temple. Do you remember the story, Nehemiah, Ezra? It's all being told there, but this is Joshua. It's that Joshua who's been charged with and is leading the charge to go and to rebuild the temple after they've been in captivity for 70 years, okay? You understand? He's a big shot. And look at this, even though he's a big shot, he's like the guy, he's like the Billy Graham guy. It says that Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. It's not, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. I think that is absolutely intriguing to me because a high priest's robes were not filthy rags. But if you're standing in the presence of God, the most fine dressed clothing, the most, and it's speaking of the work, speaking of our, trying to be our righteousness for our sake, standing before the Lord, it says our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what Isaiah tells us. So the best of the best, okay, Rambo of Israel, Billy Grambo, okay, he is the guy. And even he is standing in front of the Father with Satan accusing him, whispering in his ear. And God said that he would, he's rebuking him. And now Joshua's dressed in filthy rags, verse three. But the angel said, skip down there, to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes, and then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. Modern day, that would be a fedora. <laughs> so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And then the angel gives him the charge to go and to lead this charge to rebuild this temple. You've got... Joshua, the, the, the guy that's the guy, standing in front of the Lord, and you know what he is hearing while he stands in front of the Lord? Exactly what you and I hear when we stand before the Lord. Satan accusing him. See, there's a dragon that was breathing down the backs of the people in Revelation 12. He is still there, breathing down my back, breathing down your back. The fire of accusation that you're not good enough, that you screwed it up, you yelled one too many times, you did one too many bad things this week, and you stand before the Lord with him, Satan, seizing the moment, taking the opportunity to remind you of what a jerk you really are. And the problem is he's right. The problem is solved and that it's not about my righteousness, it can't be, it shouldn't have been, and God knew that it's why he sent Jesus, it's why we have Christmas. So that I get to stand there, not in my works, not in me being good enough or smart enough, but in me being clothed in his righteousness. And meanwhile, we have an accuser. We see the future of where he will be, 
But in Revelation 12, he, he is here. It's what Peter said. He would go around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And as you stand there, it might feel like he's just heaping it on you, shoveling it on you deep, putting it on thick. This uh, summer at the Tyler Farm, we had some funerals. There was a serial killer that went through and got our rabbits one by one. It was literally like we'd wake up the next morning wondering, is it going to be you next? And so I, uh, I got to be the barrier of the rabbits this summer. And one by one, I'm out there digging a hole, <laughs> digging it deep, because you don't want the coyotes to come dig it up, and burying it. And I did it that way because I didn't expect to see those rabbits again. And if I did, let me tell you, we got a lot bigger problems on our hands. You talk about a zombie apocalypse. What if it's the rabbit zombie apocalypse? But I'm burying him there because I don't ever want to see him again. Heaping the dirt on it. Now, the other side of that is my wife out there digging a hole. Actually, like 3,000 holes because she is burying bulbs. Do you guys bury the bulbs? Any ladies, have you done the bulbs? You know what I'm talking about? Like our, our, uh, our I think our house is going to look like Holland. Is that where they make bulbs? And she's, I don't know how many hundreds of bulbs, thousands, whatever. A lot of digging going on, but she dug it not to bury it, not to kill it, but to give it the right and proper atmosphere to germinate. Not to exterminate, but to germinate. And we know that in due time, it will look like Holland in our yard. We'll have a little postcard from uh, College Grove because there are thousands of bulbs that were planted. I bring that up because I think that sometimes what the enemy, what he's meant for harm for you, the burying of you, heaping on the accusations, heaping on. I was, I was talking to a, a friend yesterday who's a traveling guy. He travels and ministers to uh, kids, and, and he's talking about how it just feels like it's just being buried alive. His bookings have dried up, and he just, just starts to make me question how, if I'm worth it, if I, and it's just like shoveling it on. And in that conversation and into last night as I was praying, it hit me. Being buried and being planted are strikingly similar, but the results are not. That what the enemy has meant for harm for you, heaping it on you, is the perfect soil for you to grow, for the seed to grow inside of you. Jesus would say in John 17, 24-ish, that unless a kernel of wheat would fall into the ground and die, that it couldn't harvest. And when, it, when that happens, thousands of kernels will come from that. And he would say, uh, the Bible tells us, First Peter, that you and I are born of an incorruptible seed. That when I put Romeo in the ground, <laughs> he was dead. There was nothing in Romeo. When we put bulbs in the ground, there's life in that. When we put you or I are buried under what the enemy means for harm, there's life in you. Romans 8, 11 tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, in me. So if I'm being buried alive, I'm being planted. You're being planted And I would say, 
that if you don't know that, you're going to grow anyway. You know what I'm saying? The seed is going to grow. The bulbs didn't know that. But you can be buried alive and freaking out, or you can be planted and, and resting and relaxing. And so what, I, and what I'm driving at is, if you're in that moment, and some of us, and maybe all of us, are in a, a different varying degree of this, you can, you know, we've joked about it before, but when we would take a drive to the Minneapolis, you know, that's not very close to here. And I would strap my children in, because that's the law. Now, I don't know how it worked, because I got out of childhood, okay, and we didn't have to do that. But we'd drive to Minneapolis, and when the little, like my, the little killer tees were little, little, and you'd strap them in, at that age, it's like, it means we're either gonna go to the grocery store or we're going to Minneapolis. Like, they didn't know. <laughs> and let me tell you, the Minneapolis part, you know, somewhere around Mount Vernon, they're like, okay, I'm about done with this. And which basically, that was when we realized I had given birth to pterodactyls from behind us. And here's the thing, they were going there one way or the other. You're going to grow one way or the other. You can be a pterodactyl about it. Or you can relax and rest and use that time wisely. Rest in the fact that he has allowed the enemy to, to hurl these accusations at you, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you and because he knows that that dirt is the perfect ground to germinate, not exterminate you. Go to James chapter five, if you would, with me. Because we get a picture of this in what James is saying James chapter 5, verse 7, it's on page 1067. As James would say to the people that he's writing to, to be patient in verse 7, brothers, until the Lord's coming. It speaks of the rapture of the second coming, but I believe it also speaks of the Lord coming. He is coming to you, to your situation, and to be patient until his arrival into this situation. To see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient it is he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, don't be the pterodactyls, don't be mad and you'll be judged, the judge is standing at the door. I grew up in Nebraska and of course like we joke, I live in College Grove. We, Tony Simpson said, was it last year that he was able to get everything for Lynn for her Christmas list on the, uh, at the co-op? Was that last year? Two years ago. That's my dream. To be able to get everything that Shannon needs from co-op. Now, we're not there yet, but we just moved. So, But when you go down to the Bethesda market, and the farmers are there, and believe me, it's there. It has this smell of something between like aqua velva and feed. And it's just they all gather together and drink coffee around 8.30 when you drop the kids off at school. And by then, they've already been at it for like three or four hours. So this is like a lunch break. And they're talking about, like uh, David Christopher and I were sitting in there one day and they came out, they finally one of them came over to us and asked if it was our semi parked out front because we were clearly the only ones who didn't belong. And, uh, and obviously that probably gave them something to talk about all day long, whose semi that was because we never did figure it out. But you know what they're not talking about? Whether the seeds are gonna grow. Whether the crops are gonna come up. Not the experienced farmers. Not the old guys that have that sort of catcher's mitt look, you know what I'm saying? Like they, that weathered and leathered by the, the sun, like my grandfather. I mean, they're not worried about that because <laughs> they know that that dirt is going to do what it's supposed to do. 
that the, the water, the rains are going to come, that the sun is going to shine. And in due season, it's going to happen. Moses did something awful when he murdered a man in Egypt, and it says that he buried him in the ground, and then Moses went off for 40 years. You think you've been waiting a while? But you know what it says? It doesn't say that Moses went out into the desert and griped about it and whined and moaned. It, it says that he was content. He could choose how he was going to behave in that situation. He could choose the meaning of it, not based upon what was right in front of him, but, but based on what God was saying. If you've been buried by the accusations of the enemy, know that in due season, when the time is right, that the Lord will spring forth life from that situation. And in the meantime, you can Choose the meaning and relax and rest into it. And I got to tell you, if you're going to be buried alive, that's probably the way to go. Instead of panicking and freaking out. He gives us another example. He gives us an example, I think, not just of being buried of the accusations, but I think an, exact, uh, an example of what it feels like for the fire of the enemy, the circumstances, the dragon breathing fire down your back. In this next verse in 11, verse 11, it says, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Moses might have understood what it felt like to be buried in the backside of the desert Job knew what it felt like to be burned alive with the circumstances. In the beginning of Job, it says that the enemy came and said to God, I'm going to do this. It was the enemy that brought it about, and the enemy, what he meant for harm, would ultimately become in, Joseph's good because, or in uh, Job's good because that's what God does. And the fire of those circumstances, Job said, <laughs> he wasn't buried, by the way, under a pile. He was sitting on top of a pile pile of manure, it says, scraping at his boils. Let that sit in. Hope you had breakfast already. But he said, I know. The old farmer's at Bethesda Market. Job's an old farmer. He's been to this rodeo. It's not, I hope, I think, oh boy, I wish. I know that I will stand because my Redeemer lives. as the enemy's fire is breathing down you. Not only is it similar when you are being buried, it's similar to what it is like to be planted in an incubator. If you're a, a little baby and if you've been born prematurely, man, they put you under this. It's like what those lights they use to keep the chicken warm at truck stops. Do you know what I'm saying? They throw you in one of these little boxes and it's restricting, but then there's this bright light and it's hot and it might feel horrible in there, but the fire of the enemy that feels like it's there to burn you is, is an incubator. It's the same exact situation. The enemy means it to burn you. The father says, no, I'll use it to incubate you. And in due time, like Job, in due time, like Moses, the fire of the desert, the, 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 the dirt, the fire of the circumstances that happened to Job. And gang, here's the best news of all. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
that they were thrown into the fiery furnace, that they meant to harm him, and I promise you that it, it looked pretty bad going in. And our Father, loving as he is, used it as an incubator. But where was Jesus? He wasn't on the outside looking in, he was on the inside. And those of you that have been through some of the worst fires imaginable know one thing that I know is that in that fire you get to know Jesus in a way that you had never got to know him before. In fact, it says that their ropes burned off. And you know what they did? They stayed. Look, that, I mean, seriously, they stayed in it because that's where Jesus was. He was in it with them. He didn't cause it to happen, but he sure joined them in it. And the promise of that to us is we get to know Jesus in a unique and a real live way. Gang, the story of Christmas is that we have an enemy, a dragon spoken of in Revelation 12, who wants to burn you down, who wants to bury you in accusations but we have a loving father, we have a promise from him that he's not going to let that happen and in due season at the right time that if we're patient, it's going to happen. The ministry that you thought that you were called to so many years ago, it's been buried by life, buried by circumstances, or it's been planted. Young and single, man, I'll never get married. I'll, I'm just, it's never gonna happen for me. And <laughs> just been buried for a while. You've been planted, waiting for the time not to be exterminated, but to germinate. The plans that didn't quite work out the way you thought, whether it's through the relationship, whether it's in your job, whether it's at home with your children, be patient, because what the enemy has meant for harm is he's tried to bury your children, bury them in doubts, bury them in accusation, bury them in whatever they happen to find when they've Googled the internet. Be patient, because it's going to happen in due time, at the right time. And we know this because our God, is, it says in Romans 8, after it says that we were that the Spirit of the Lord is in us, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead would say that in all things God is working to the benefit, to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And if you stand before the Lord like Joshua the high priest in his righteousness, it wasn't Joshua that had to rebuke the enemy, it was God. He's got your back. And I say that knowing full well that life is gonna hit you today. As you walk out here, there's another shovel. And it reminds me of an old story, a classic story, you've probably heard it, of an old farmer that couldn't find his old beat up mule. And he eventually found him and he had fallen into this abandoned well. And the farmer thought, well, I'm never gonna get him out of here. So I'll just bury him and it'll close up the well and I'll bury the mule at the same time and put him out of his misery. And so one by one he shovels a big heap of dirt in it and the mule shakes it off and steps up. Another shovel, 
And over and over it went. And each time the mule shook it off and took another step up until the hole was filled and the mule walked out. And I say to you this morning that the enemy wants to bury you in this hole like he did Joseph, but as those shovels of dirt are meant to harm you, shake it off and take another step up. Shake it off, take another step up. You're going to have an opportunity this week. You're going to have an opportunity maybe on your drive home. Your child's going to pop off. And you're going to have an opportunity to get mad about it. And I challenge you today, shake it off, step it up. I'm challenging me today, shake it off, take another step off. As our musicians would come back and lead us in a little bit more of worship, I'm going to invite you this morning to let the Lord speak to you today for you to identify where it is that you're at whether it's on the job situation, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your lack of a marriage, whether it's in your children. Where is it that the enemy is breathing fire down your back today? Where is it that the accusations of dirt that have heaped upon you are you feel like burying you alive? And give it new meaning today. Because, again, you're going to Minneapolis anyway, Ethan. You might as well. Relax. (laughs) Because your loving Father wants you to get there safely and sound. Your loving Father wants to allow you like Moses, allow you like Job, and allow you like you to be germinated, to be raised up. And Joseph, who had that dream that led to him being thrown in his own pit, led to him being put in prison, would eventually say that, no, no, brothers, what you've meant for harm, God has used for good. And I'm telling you this morning, I believe that with all my heart, that what the enemy has meant for harm in your life, that God will use for good. Father, thank you for that promise. Thank you for the brilliance, your ability, your creative ability to take even my screw-ups and put them into place in a way that is for my good and not for my harm. That I can stand before you not based upon my stuff and how good or how bad I am. I can stand before you based upon, just like Joshua, clothed in your clothes, in your righteousness. You've been so merciful, you've been so compassionate. In your name we pray, amen. Psalm 68, the psalmist would say, verse one, to let God arise and his enemies be scattered. This morning, the fears and the doubts, those are your enemies. Why do we get a chance to worship and to connect with the Father, whether through song or through prayer or on a Sunday? is so that we can let God arise and the enemies be scattered. This morning, let him arise in your life and let the doubts and the fears be scattered.